And now, the Sleephawk Worldwide Podcast. Here are your hosts, Brandon Staten and Tyler Hansbro. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Sleephawk Worldwide Podcast. This is Sleep Dog with the Big Hulk. What's up, everybody? The Big Hulk. Uh, we've got a very special guest today. Uh, one of my best friends, uh, teammate, uh, and a Tar Heel, a great Tar Heel. Um, been a good friend of mine ever since uh, I stepped foot at UNC. Uh, amazing person, great business person as well. Uh, Dewey, Dewey, welcome to SHWW. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. You know, like I said to you guys offline before we started, I've been doing podcasts for Inside Carolina for like seven, eight years. I was in the minors and I got the call up. This is the big show. I'm ready. I'm ready to be in the big leagues. Well, absolutely. Uh, like I said before, we're national. So you, you are touching a huge audience. Uh, everyone in Europe and Asia, they'll uh, they'll definitely be excited about this episode. Uh, but sleep, we got a lot to talk about. What are we going to do here? Yeah, buddy. All seven of you are going to be really glad Dewey joined us and, and sharing some of the stories that uh, these two guys have to tell. Essentially, dude, uh, it's a dumpster fire. You joined it at a very interesting time. Uh, Carolina fans are like... I don't know. We're going to have to figure out whether we're going to have to walk them off the ledge or just, you know, push them. Uh, we do have the ACC championship game coming up tomorrow. We'll get into that a little bit. Uh, Heels lost three in a row to the point where it's starting to like show up on national. Um, speaking of being national, starting to show up on these national ESPN shows and stuff. Everybody's worried about the heels. Um, I guess I'm probably the biggest quote unquote fan out of the group here, as opposed to being uh, any, having any sort of like rational ability to think about the ebbs and flows of a season. Um, but I think one of the questions most of our listeners are going to want to know is like, should we be, should we be freaking out yet? Uh, so we'll talk a little bit about that. Talk about what's ahead, uh, getting to some, uh, you know, take us down memory lane a little bit, talk about the good times and, uh, yeah, just kind of see what happens. But, uh, I guess foremost, right. Uh, what do you guys think, Tyler, I'll start with you. Uh, what do we make of Carolina's losing streak here? You got, you got your first loss against Iowa state. You one dude gets hot. That happens. Uh, seems to happen a lot with us. You got a four overtime sort of thriller that at some point was going to go either way. Uh, and then, you know, on the back end of that, I don't know. I thought, I thought the team looked a little flat against Indiana. Uh, Indiana sure seems like a good team. Um, so, you know, uh, you can kind of frame it however you want it, uh, if you're a fan or if you're a hater, but from your perspective, you know, where do we sit right now? Uh, and and where do we go from here? Well, um, before I say anything, three game losing streak, um, I don't think anybody forecasted that, but I will say the way the schedule set up going to Portland, long road trip, different time zone. Uh, and then the first game. Uh, against Portland was a little shaky. Um, but I will say, I think Portland um, isn't as bad as a team as uh, what everyone thinks of because um, no one's really heard of Portland. And also they're playing at home, and this is probably their only chance to play against some big-time schools. And so they had uh, more motivation than anyone could think of. And they did have one player who, in particular who I think is a really good player, could play for any team in the country, would – Uh, He was, uh, you know, he was very skilled, did a lot of different things and had a lot of smart smarts. But, you know, that game, those those games leading into the Indiana being on that long road trip, that's tough for any team. That's tough for an NBA team to be on the road that long and then go to a place like Indiana, expect to win the game. 
before the game, I said, this is going to be a great challenge for these guys. The reason I said that is because when you take two losses in a row, you should be extremely hungry. You should do whatever it takes to come out of the gates to get a dub. And I don't care where you're playing, uh, Cameron, I don't care the situation. And, um, you know, Indiana was a tough one. They have a really good player. Uh, the Davis kid is unbelievable. Potential All-American. One of the best players in the country. Uh, really had a good game. And Indiana really got going. And, uh, you know, it was a tough – it's a tough stretch for us. But there is hope. And uh, I always lead with positivity. Uh, you can learn a lot from your losses. So that's the way I'm looking at it right now. But do you get in details? Do we give us your thoughts? I mean, you're, you're pretty – uh, educated on this, you, um, you know, walked on and, and, uh, you know, what you're looking at when you see it, what do you take away from these games? Yeah, I think right now, my biggest takeaway is I think we struggle right now to have an identity offensively. Uh, if you watch that knee in game, depending on who's in the floor at one point, we're playing three out, two in with Pete and Mondo in the post. And then, uh, Mondo comes out and we play four out. And then if Pete subs out at some points and even Bill has set it on the telecast, we play five out. And so the lack of continuity on the offensive end, I think, is confusing. I, I'm not sure exactly what we're trying to accomplish on that end of the floor at times, which leads us invariably to a lot of contested shots with the ball in either Caleb or RJ's hands. And so offensively, our shot quality to me is really low. And that's evidenced not just by our field goal percentage, but also by our three-point percentage. And just the general feeling of watching that game in Bloomington nothing comes easy. I mean, we think back to the teams that we were on, Tyler, and the, and the two years after I was gone that ultimately led to a national championship. We got so many baskets in transition from running, and, and things came easy as a result of that. We get nothing easy right now. Every basket is, a, is an extreme challenge. And so can we be a little better defensively? Sure. Can we play maybe with a little more fire and intensity? I think so. But to me, our struggles are offensively. Everything is so difficult. Every possession, nothing comes easy, right? It's not like it just, hey, throw it into Mono and get a bucket. He's not shooting a high percentage. Let's get Caleb and RJ good open looks where they can be in rhythm. You're not seeing that. So that's the biggest thing for me is our offensive rhythm is not there. Yeah, and, and Dewey, that's a great point. And I talked about this. I've, I've been shooting some texts back and forth. And, you know, you made a great point that when you watch the games, nothing comes easy. And the easiest, uh, you know, the highest percentage shot in basketball is uncontested layup. Uh, I don't think, you know, it's if you can take an uncontested layup and get more than uh, the other team, the odds are you're going to win. And that's the one thing that I look at with this team. You bring a good point, the offensive identity. And, you know, traditional Carolina teams, especially under Coach Williams, they ran. And you knew they were going to run. And you knew in the second half you were going to get more easy buckets as teams couldn't sustain that type of pace okay. and that is that is an absolute great point and my one thing is sometimes your best offense is a very good defense and I say that because there's no better basket than getting a quick uh, you know, the getting out in a passing lane stealing the ball and then going down and get an easy layup uh, turnovers are you know a good way to get easy easy buckets and I also say this uh, for everyone hitting me up on Twitter, why don't we run more plays for Mondo? Um, sometimes your best offense doesn't need to be a play. I love the duck-in. Uh, you know, if, if you want to teach a class on duck-in, uh, go to Zach Randolph. He made millions, hundreds of millions of dollars 
ducking in around the basket. There's nobody that had better hands, get quick rebounds, duck in, get position, and they rarely ran a play form. And when they did run a play, it was an obvious mismatch. Uh, so that's that's what I would say about that. Um, and, you know, Sleep, you mentioned this. Uh, the Caleb Grill, Grill kid had 31 against us to start that game uh, in Iowa State. That was our first loss. Mm-hmm. And I see the next game, he has one point against UConn. Yeah, he shot like and, old Sleep Dog in, uh, against UConn. Yeah, you know, it, it also comes down to having a little bit of pride for your garden and, yeah. you know, taking accountability for when I step out on that court, my man is not going to score. Uh, so if, if I were going to start an identity, Dewey, you know, you can get, you know, I think you can get offensive momentum, but I think the ability stepping out on the court and saying, hey, nobody's going to score on me. I'm going to play tough. And we're going to get every rebound, uh, which rebounding has been a touch of an issue at times this year, which is a huge surprise to me. But, you know, I, I would start there. And I think sometimes you could create easy buckets based off of that. Uh, but, you know, what do you think about that, Dewey? Uh, look, I completely agree. Um, and I guess part of my comment uh, was saying, so much of our offense is in the half court because we're not getting those turnovers that are being forced and not getting out in passing lanes like we traditionally did as Carolina to allow us to play fast. We're not getting those types of live ball turnovers to lead into primary break. And so everything's coming in the half court. Yeah. And it's it's a just an unbelievable struggle. So you're right. I mean, outside of leaky, you know, we I don't think we've seen elite defense collectively from the group. I will shout leaky out just very specifically on one point as it relates to the Indiana game, right? So the, the freshman kid for them who was really cooking early, um, Hood Shafino, had 12 points in the first 10 minutes of the game, I believe was five for six to start. They switched Leakey on him two points the rest of the way. He started like he was getting 40 and Leakey yeah. shut him down. Now, the rest of the team didn't defend as we're capable and we ended up just getting brutalized in the paint. Uh, but Leaky really guarded when they switched him on to that kid. Um, but I think overall, you're right. I mean, I think the you know my point is the lack of identity comes from your point of lack of creating live ball turnovers and creating chaos, which is what we always tried to do under Coach Williams, right? We denied yeah. every pass. We fronted the post. We did live ball traps. You know, our um, I don't remember the name of them, but the, you know, similar this and this, right? Those were yeah. from side out of bounds, trap the first pass, trap the dribbler. Just, again, create chaos because chaos makes the other team speed up. And we felt nobody was better at playing than us when everything was speeded up. Yeah. And, and so, look, it's different coach, different time, and I understand that. Um, but I would say the two points that we've hit, one, not enough live ball turnovers being created by a prideful defense. And because of that, having to play in the half court and struggling to create easy baskets, that's what we're seeing and I've seen the last three games. Dewey, uh, it, when, I, when I'm watching college basketball now, there's one team in particular that I, I really enjoy watching, and that's Purdue. And Purdue, to me, Zach Eady is the best player in the country right now. He, no one's more dominant. Nobody controls the paint. Uh, you can throw it down to him. He gets a bucket. And I think the, the movement, the off-the-ball movement that Matt Painter has, has taught Purdue has been unbelievable. And for Purdue to be doing what they're doing right now, uh, based off of losing Jaden Ivey and uh, Trevor Williams' kid, 
uh, to NBA players is unbelievable. And when I watch him, his growth, he's from where he was last year to where he is now, that is a huge improvement. And, you know, when I look at, you know, it, this year, especially in college, I feel like there's so many good big men out there. You know, you have Armando, you have the the Davies kid from Indiana, even the flip kid from Duke's having a really good year. Um, and, and, you know, Gonzaga, Drew Timmy, I love watching him play. I think he's a very, uh, very good player. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of good bigs out there. And in an analytical driven sport right now where people are hemorrhaging threes, uh, I think there's been a big uh, misconception about we need to get more threes, uh, but then they totally neglect the easy points and the easy layups and how to get to. So the two highest percentage shots in basketball, uncontested layup, and then the free throw. Sure. And then you start adding in your equations and analytics. But those two are not – those two are the two highest percentage shots. And I think what Purdue has really capitalized on – is uh, being very good at both of those. And it's it's been pretty Im- impressive. And, uh, you know, I think this team will grow and learn from their losses. But um, you're right. We've got to figure out how to get easy buckets. And I think one of the so, things you're uh, seeing, sorry, too, so, yeah, sorry real quick, because you guys have both mentioned this, and I think one of the things, Dewey, that you pointed out, or maybe it was Tyler, uh, sort of the, the rebounding discrepancy. And I think from my standpoint, I sort of look at this um, probably in a lot more simpler terms sometimes. And I feel like some of the bad shots that we're taking are leading to like long rebounds, right? And and it's allowing the, uh, you know, the, the opponent to sort of keep up with us in, in a, in a, in a category where they really shouldn't be able to, I see a lot of bat, a lot of shots that are sort of down in the shot clock where we don't really get the ball inside the perimeter, right? A lot of isolation. We wind up with a sort of force three or something. Nobody's really in position for the rebound. Cause everybody's just kind of like, okay, what are we doing? Uh, and those guys, uh, alternatively, you know, you're seeing some some cases where we're giving up a lot of points to a lot of weaker teams because they're getting rebounds and when we're already spread out and getting on the run. Um, and, and then the one thing from a fans, I think, perspective is, you know, I saw a couple people mention this and you guys mentioned the difference between Roy Williams and obviously Hubert Davis is a different coach. But one of the things that a Carolina fan is going to ask about is those days when like it's clearly not going well and you're clearly got some guys on the court that aren't cohesive. Where are the days where you just yank all five guys off the court? And put in some, you know, some from some fresh legs and, and give those guys some burns. So that's another thing, kind of, that I wanted to to touch on is there's this sort of perceived lack of depth in it because the the starters, especially you saw it against uh, uh, what you call it, the four OTs, Alabama. Um, yeah, yeah, Alabama. you saw that, and it's like we got some guys that that everybody thinks really highly of um, that, but we 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 really tend to like go all in uh, on our starting line. I have pretty short rotation. I don't know. Those are just two observations uh, from somebody that, that wrapped up their career uh, in the 10th grade. So <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, look, it's a good point and, and it is a different coach. And so it's hard for Tyler and I to speculate exactly what Hubert uh, is thinking when it comes to depth and, and playing younger guys. I mean, Dontrez is the name that, that jumps out obviously mm-hmm. for everybody and say, you know, they want DeMarco or Tyler nickel to get more minutes. Uh, the only thing you can say, and there's no evidence for this, that nothing that I know of this, but if he's not putting them in, he doesn't trust them yet. Mm-hmm. 
right? Because because mm-hmm. he's, he's had every opportunity to do that. So if he's not putting him, he doesn't trust him yet. Um, would be my reaction. If you guys don't mind, I just as we're sitting here, thought of a question for Tyler, um, and I wanted to focus on Armando for a second. Uh, clearly banged up, right? He's he rolled his ankle. He's nicked up on on the lower extremity, and now he hurt his shoulder. He's banged up. You know, part of that is just the the deal with being a preseason conference and preseason all American, uh, something that you were very used to. You got banged up your senior year also at the beginning of the season. My question to you is this. We just talked about the the inability to get easy baskets and the inability to get uncontested layups. We here's another thing we don't get offensively: catch and shoot threes. Almost every three we take is Caleb or RJ shooting a step back, and it's almost always contested. Caleb does not shoot a good percentage, but guys, I think most people, if they took the shots that Caleb took, would shoot even worse. I mean, that guy has an ability to make very difficult shots. Um, but Tyler, what I wanted to ask you is, is for Armando, what does he need to do? Because it's not, you know, he's getting the ball in the post in a, in a position to be successful, but his touch isn't there right now. He's not finishing around the rim, uh, some that you were very gifted at. So for you, in your mind, what, what does Armando need to do to get those post touches and be successful enough that, that we get a double on him so that the ball can swing and we can get open catch and shoot threes? Think how many catch and shoot threes Danny Green got as a result of playing with you. Wayne Ellington got as a result of playing with you, right? We get no catch and shoot threes so far this season. So just that whole concept of what can Armando do is something that nobody better to answer that than you. Yeah, well, first of all, I go to my point. Um, The first thing, if you're not making or getting the looks that you want or you're getting the touches or even – you know, having trouble finishing around the rim, I always say get more rebounds. That's one thing. Uh, Focus on getting rebounds, and then the game will come to you. But, uh, you know, I've seen this sometimes is where, you know, guys get a little frustrated because they're not touching, and the first opportunity they get the ball is they hemorrhage a shot. It's it's going up. Yeah, it's going up. Yeah, it's going up no matter what. I got it. I'm going up. The one thing that – you know, I said in the off season is Armando got a ton of attention based off of last year and what he accomplished, and he deserves that. But every team in the country, when they play UNC, is now going to be looking at Armando, what he does, and what does he do so good? And we're going to double. How? What does he? So how can we guard Armando to make him less effective? So he's going to get scouted unbelievably to the to the T. Here's the one thing I would say. I always say this: there's no better offense then absolutely no plays when you don't need to call a set to get us, you know, get an easy bucket. I would say first thing is if I'm not scoring, I always try to run the court better. I always try to meet, beat my man down the court because bigs don't run that well. And that was something that I did. Uh, you know, I accomplished, I would outrun somebody. I knew I'd put my head down and run as hard as I could. Uh, you know, chances are you're going to get a lap or you get a mismatch. You get a small on you. Because, you know, the smalls are always back uh, to defend uh, before the big. But I will say this. I always look at the duck ends. There's, you know, you don't have a better opportunity to duck in when the ball is, when you're off, uh, away from the ball. And when it comes around to your side, duck in real good, get position, get position to the point where as soon as you catch it, you can go right up. It doesn't, it doesn't allow for a double team because you're in the paint right where you need to do is catch the ball, pivot to wherever the defense is not, and go up to your move and just score. 
And, you know, that would be one thing uh, I would look at. But I would watch film and kind of see how the defense is guarding me and what they're doing and uh, what I can do better. But, you know, clearly when Armando gets healthy and he gets his confidence, I think things are going to come. They will. When he starts playing – you made a great point about running, Tyler, because it just – and I don't mean to keep talking about, you know, the teams that you played on and, and I played on, but so many times when you would run, when we would get a, get a steal or a defense rebound, when you would rim run, that led to an open three for a perimeter player because you occupied the defense. Because, right, when you're when you're in transition defense, you, you got to get back into the paint and then build out. It's, and so your rim run was, actually was like a hockey assist because yeah. your rim run caused Wayne and Danny – to sprint to the wing and have a catch-and-shoot pitch ahead three. That never happens here. Absolutely. And the other thing the rim run does, uh, Dewey, is, you know, when you're – then the big – when you outrun your big and you get matched up with the small, the other big has to take on a wing player. So defensively in rotations when that ball is making movement, you have a mismatch in both positions. And bigs do not do well guarding on the perimeter. I don't care what anybody says, especially uh, weak side defense. And so it's going to create those catch and three, those catch and shoot open threes uh, that we've been talking about. But you know, I, and here's the thing: is you know, when I when we're talking about Armando, Armando's going to be fine. Uh, you know, clearly, I think once he gets healthy and gets his confidence, he's going to get things rolling. But also, I would say I don't know what he's shooting from the free throw line. But uh, I think once he gets his confidence, his free throws will improve. And, uh, you know, just quit thinking about that. He's got great touch, and he'll make them. That's my one thing, too. I don't know how much of this you guys um, are watching on any regular basis. But right now, Carolina reminds me a lot of the Warriors in the NBA and some of, like, their early struggles, right? Like, it's sort of this whole sort of what the fuck is kind of going on, right? There um a lot of their guys that, you know, you can depend on for a lot of things. It's like they're, they're having trouble, like, figuring out, okay, where do we go beyond our big three, right? And I feel like Carolina is still the same. They're just forcing everything through three guys. Um, And there's some of those same sort of... um I guess, uh, identity crisis issues uh, as I watch a lot of that. And um, you mentioned, um, do we like trust with the bench players? And that's kind of where um, my mind just went there as well. Um, I'm with you. I'm with you, T. I think, uh, and it's all one of those things, the same kind of thing is, is, is with them. You just sort of figure that, all right, at some point, right. They're testing some rotations and things like that. And then, then things will, will even out and, um and, and fall back into place. I'm with you. I think um a lot of a lot of people I see a lot of chatter uh followed during the games on Twitter, a lot of chatter about, you know, Baycott not getting the ball and those sorts of things. Um I, I yeah, I agree that that getting into the line and just sort of seeing the ball go through the hoop a couple times, right? You know, the, sometimes he is getting the ball. I don't know what the fuck a duck in but is, by the way, and, and hopefully I'm the only one. Maybe we need to explain that. But uh explain that. That, yeah. the, I, the last I feel like a duck in is like one of those like gas stations where you go get some a know, slip in. Yeah, an old slip in. I mean, a little, little, little like burrito that's only been there for you know, maybe that thing was put on there this morning. Yeah, exactly. Uh well, um, first of all, a duck in is basically anytime you're a big uh, and your man is on help side. So, the you know, you'd be away from the ball. It can be anywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you the traditional sense would be 
Uh, uh, one big is on the block. The other big is on the other block. So mm-hmm. uh, in the offense, the big goes straight up the lane, catches the ball, and then all of a sudden that other big will just drop in and seal and put his body on the defender and catch it in good position to score. Yep. That is a high-low uh, by definition, but the actual position and the way the the big uh, seals uh, his man and puts himself in just a quick, easy bucket – that is a duck in. And you can do that. It doesn't have to be ball side. It can be as soon as, you know, it shifts or you're getting in different positions. That's just sealing your man and getting close to the uh, the basket and putting yourself in scoring position. And why it's so important, I said it, is because it doesn't give teams uh, time to double you. Uh, you can go straight up with it. Armando's stronger than 95% of the players he's going to play against. And he can do that every single time. Uh, it's it's one of my favorite plays in basketball, and it's an old-school play. It's an old-school NBA in the 80s, just mm-hmm. physical, just ducking and get yourself good position. And while we're on this topic, uh, I've also said this before the season start, never underestimate what Brady Manick did for this team last year. And yeah. what what I think he did was he brought confidence, he brought a swagger, uh, and he brought passion to the team. And not a lot of people talk about spirit. Uh, when you watch these games, uh, there was there was a game I was watching, actually the Vanderbilt game, where the kid tapped his head after he dunked on somebody and got a technical. And I was upset at the ref because that's passion to me, and that was not taken offensive, and he wasn't trying to show up the defender. That's just what people do now. And, you know, I think that, you know, when Brady got into the team, I think we we're in a bad spot last year. Then all of a sudden you saw the spirit of the team. Guys started, you know, high-fiving and really looked like they enjoyed basketball. I want I want to see us do that. I want us to see ha- – I want us to be happy. I want to see people high-fiving, running up and down, enjoying themselves. Uh, you know, once we get to that space, we're going to be the team that everyone wants us to be. And, uh, you know, and while we're on this subject, no one gets a trophy in late November. It's all about uh, early April and uh, late March. So we've got a long way to go. You don't want to be peaking right now. We said that last year. And, uh, you know, those those aspects of the game can never go unlooked. I think it's a great point. you got to play with joy. they got to find the joy. And right now, with the target on their back and then underperforming, they're feeling the pressure of the expectations not being met with performance. And, and they're struggling with that mentally, even as experienced as they are. No better way to snap out of that than to go get a great road win, right? Mm-hmm. Go up to Blacksburg, a notoriously tough place to play, mm-hmm. a place that we lost, Tyler, my senior year, your sophomore year. It's a hard place to win. And so, hey, let's find out how tough they are. Let's yeah. find out how tough they are tomorrow be- or on Sunday because that's a hard place to play. You open a conference with the game at Virginia Tech. Place is loud. The, the stands are really steep. They're on top of you. It's challenging. And it's a weekend. So that place is going to be lit up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I wouldn't expect it to be easy. And uh, this team is capable of handling handling any hard task uh, based off of what they did last year. Doing my question to you would be, if you were on this team, what would be your mindset right now? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, one of the things I don't know is who the true vocal leader is of the team. I'm not saying they don't have one. That's not what I meant. I'm saying I don't know who it is. I don't know which guy it is. I mean, you, Tyler, were not as much of a vocal leader, more of a leader by the way you played. And we followed you, right? Um, I wonder who the vocal leader is that is trying to get these guys together and just talk about 
playing for the name on the front of the jersey and getting the pride back in the defensive end, like you talked about, digging in, you know, digging it out of the dirt and finding the joy and getting stops and grinding out a win on the road. Who's who's talking about that amongst the group? I, you know, hopefully one of them, right? They've got a lot of experience in there. Uh, Leaky, a fifth-year guy, he seems soft-spoken, but maybe it's him. So you asked w- what I would be thinking. I would be hopeful that our leader, our senior leader, a David Noel type, um, like, like we played with, or or you guys when you were seniors, would be grabbing everybody together and talking about figuring a way to dig out of the trenches and, and get this figured out. The other point I'll make, and I want your response to this, in some ways, when we played, that guy, that leader who dug in and, and, and figured out how to get out of the trenches with you was Coach Williams, right? Nobody loved to dig in and compete more than him, Oh yeah, right? And so Hubert is a different personality, very competitive and everything like that. So I don't know what that dy- dynamic is now, right? Because if we were struggling or lost, we lost you know, three out of four your freshman year um, and then went on a good run to finish the season, Coach Williams was the one that led that fight mm-hmm. for our team to improve defensively and get better. And that was him. Yeah. And so maybe it's just Hubert. Maybe it's the same deal. But I just think that's an interesting thought to have. And I'm curious for your reaction because Coach Williams is the most competitive person I've ever met. Yeah. Right. And and so he was the one that drove that. It's uh it's unbelievable how competitive Coach Williams is. Um, you talk about a coin flip and that guy wants to win. Um and you know, we're not comparing coach to Hubert. I mean, it's not that. And it's just relatable to us because we played for Coach Williams and we know his personality. And, you know, I don't, when I look at some of these, you know, great athletes like Tom Brady and how fired up they get on the sideline or uh, Michael Jordan, after the losses, they have a look and they have, okay, we're going back and we're going to go to work. Um, that was the mindset Coach Williams came. You knew if you took an L, uh, the next practice, it was going to be, it was going to be a tough one. Hell and, to pay. Oh yeah. And, um, when I'm looking back, I knew after every single loss, you better bring it to practice. You better bring an attitude. Uh, I don't care what your body feels like. Okay. You're going to go to work and you're going to get a little bit better. Um, that's the one thing, you know, in a way it's weird. I kind of miss that. Uh, it's not the fact that, uh, it's not the feeling of losing, but what losing does, it makes you look at your mistakes and see what you can do to get better as a team. And it's a great opportunity for these, these youngsters to look at what they aren't doing right and grow from it and become mm-hmm. the team that they want to. And see and, what's in here and see yeah. ultimately see what's in here, right? I mean, yeah. how, how tough are they? This is not how they thought this was going to go. No, and, and you knew there was going to be bumps. Uh, you know, the one thing I would relate it to is I think in 2009, we opened up conference play. Oh, and two. Loss, loss. Two losses in a row. Lost on our home court and went over to Wake Forest and got power blasted mm-hmm. uh, and came back. And you want to talk about a tough practice. Uh, <laughs> you brought your worker hat to that one. Um, and you put your head down and you went to work. And that's something I, I really, really enjoyed. And... <laughs> Looking back, it's probably a big reason why we, we uh, won a national championship and we were competitive every single year. Uh, but, you know, this team has it in, and I know that. Uh, but uh, it made me think, Dewey, what would you say the toughest practice you've been through playing with Coach Williams was? Oh, man. Toughest practice. 
it had to be that one when we were in the practice gym when we had to run an 88 that had to be so for everybody listening so our conditioning was based on how many down and backs you would do end to end so uh you had to do each one of those in 11 seconds so in other words you're on the baseline you run down touch the other baseline get back in 11 seconds you have to do it twice that's 22 down back down back three times 33 down back down back down back typical conditioning and the conditioning test that we had to pass was run 12 33s right so 12 up and back three times he got so mad at us in one practice that he made us run an 88 an 88 which is down and back full sprint eight times that had to be the worst practice that i was a part of hey sleep you have no idea how tough an 88 is <laughs> I uh, mean. you know peak performance peak shape i'm not sure i get an 88 just rolling in there no, nobody made it to go. nobody, nobody so, made it. experience here my high school coach was like dean smith's like I mean, he worshiped the ground. Dean Smith walked. The guy even had white hair, and I'm I'm not 100% sure he didn't just die it that way. But we used to run. I don't remember running 88s, but, dude, if Carolina did it, we did it. And we'd do down and backs, and we do 22s and 33s. Like, and, dude, yeah. we were like, dude, I kid you not, all right? This is, the, this, is, this is what, like, my crowning achievement was. I was the worst player on the worst team in the state of North Carolina. And we trained like we were down – might win the national championship. So it was funny because I mean I can't I can't relate to an 88, right? But dude, yeah, they used to gas us and our coach would get so pissed. Yeah. And the funny thing was is he get pissed at us, right? Because we weren't performing, but we couldn't perform because we weren't any good. But it was hilarious because I'm like, damn, but, it was like we just ain't no good, dude. Hey, Come on. But, hey, but you, like, you you know you know what oh it's my like god brutality threes, right? Oh, so yeah, 33s yeah, yeah. down time and a half times. on that. Yeah. Those are challenging, right? Oh, and yeah. So we would do oh, yeah. 33s and then get a minute rest. And rest. 88. <laughs> I ran and, cross country in high school too, man. So, I mean, I, I put some running in. Uh, I, I don't know if I could run across this room right now, not notwithstanding. But, yeah, 88, bro. I get sort of uh, – I think I just pulled up a hamstring just oh, thinking man. about it. Yeah, hey, guys, the best part about this was it was the white team, which is the starters, and we had some subs. And then we played against the second team, the blue, and the blue just destroyed us. I we mean, did. we got you. We probably lost by 20 points in like a quarter. And Coach Williams, it was the last thing in practice, and you always saw the schedule. And Coach Williams just played it really cool. And he said everybody on the baseline and didn't act anything crazy. And I was like, oh, wow, this is, he's like, we're just going to run, and get out of here. Okay. And uh, he said, put an 88 up there. And I think he even had 88. He had to repeat it. And so we ran we ran one, and uh, he said nobody made it. And I'm sitting over there, and I don't think I started yakking on the on the first one. I think it was the second one doing when I started dry heat. Second, second one you started throwing up. Here's a question. I was on the blue team. We won. Why did we have to run? Why did we have to run the 88? We won the scrimmage, and we still had to run two 88s. <laughs> What was that? Bro, so in our team, our team, they had to make them run. We had to make free throws to not run it into practice. And I'll never forget that when they would, uh, when somebody would miss their free throws, the coach would take them over. They had a vending machine in there 
And the coach would put a dollar in the damn vending machine and let them get whatever drink they want. Like a fucking, I'll never forget, like the fattest kid on the team got a Mountain Dew. And the coach and this kid, Greg Montford was his name, sat on the sideline drinking their Mountain Dews while the rest of us ran because Greg missed the free throws. So, oh, yeah. Brutal. <laughs> I'm getting like PTSD from this guy. I, I, I remember. I remember. <laughs> I went in there. I remember looking over at Mike Copeland and I was like, there ain't no way me, me or Mike are ever going to make it. Mike was about to start yakking too. And uh, we had to run another one. And on the, I remember on the second one, old Wayne ran as hard as he could almost got it. I was going to say Wayne, Wayne was the best conditioned player we, that I ever played with. That guy could run for days. He could, he couldn't make it. It was unbelievable. Cause I knew like, Wayne runs like a gazelle. I mean, that dude is just, (laughs) and I was like, damn, Wayne almost made it. And, uh, but the funny thing is we tried to play it off. Like we all made it. And, uh, but we had one more down and back. And so we just kind of stopped and kind of acted like we made it. And then coach Williams was like, you guys didn't make it, but Wayne, you ran, ran really hard. Everyone else back up to the line. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he was going. He was he was going for our lunch that day. He wanted uh, to see it. Yeah, that was uh, that was extremely tough. But yeah, I, so I, yeah. So as you go through this, right, you this all comes from like who is the leader, and I think back to last year's team, and I kind of wonder the same thing. Like Brady, maybe maybe more so than anybody we've seen on the team now, but he just still didn't strike me as like the vocal leader. I think I think later in the season, you started to see the team play it seemed like at least more for Hubert, whether they're buying into it, whether they're, you know what I mean? But there seemed a cohesion from Hubert on down. Um, Right now, it doesn't seem to be there. I wonder, I worry, I think, as a fan, like if I'm just being honest, I don't see that vocal leader on that. I don't see somebody there that's going to step up and be like, guys, Dude, we got to get it together, and and I think this is the one thing that that the you know, that casual fans need to understand about a vocal leader is like you can't just step into that role. Like the most important part, I think, of being a vocal leader is you can get in somebody's ass and the other guys react to it. So mm-hmm. you know you can't you can't force Caleb or Armando or it's got to be in their nature, and they have to have the respect of their teammates to have those guys buy into it. And I think one wow. of the things I don't see yet, at least, is is that sort of person personality mainly on not on the respect side because I think those guys like each other, evidenced by last year. I just don't see the alpha yet out of, out of this this crew. And I think it might have been Brady. I, I think Brady was more of a vocal leader as he got comfortable midway through the season on, uh, he was certainly our emotional leader. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think he was True. the one he, he was the mm-hmm. most experienced. The other thing too, to take it back to kind of, you know, tactical basketball, Brady being such an elite shooter and a, an elite catch and shooter, which we talked about earlier. It, it, it was so different than watching this team because now they can choke everything off because they're not worried. There's nobody to space the floor. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and that's what Brady did for us is, you threw the ball into the post. We got really good at setting rear screens and flare screens for Brady last year. And we threw skip passes where he would catch and shoot. And that was such a dynamic to last year's offense that we don't have, right? So in addition to the leadership and the fire and the emotion, just his pure ability to be an absolute dead-eye shooter as a catch-and-shoot guy, not off the bounce, was completely different based on what we've seen so far. I know Pete Nance has caught and, and made a couple threes, but 
you're not running flare screen. He doesn't have mm-hmm. the footwork to do some of the stuff that Brady was able to do. You know, Brady had had footwork almost like a two guard in the way we could run stuff for him and he could get set, catch and shoot. And we have none of that, none of that. So that, do you that's guys a huge think that, do you guys offense. think that I agree completely? Do you guys think that you mentioned earlier, Tyler, like Mondo getting to the line? One of the things from the last game that I'm thinking is like, what about Caleb and what about RJ just like driving to the basket, getting fouled and getting to the line more? Do you think that's something is that, is that something that you guys noticed? Is it is it is it is it a potential, uh, you know? serum here to fix some of what's going on but that's another thing i know a lot of isolation a lot of settling for shots is there and that step mentality back, contested, just, three. Exactly. Step back, contested yeah. three step back contested three step back contested three yeah you, you you're not going to get the benefit of the doubt on iso plays just to be 100 percent honest mm-hmm. with you. Mm-hmm. uh if you play aggressive uh usually on offense and you play with an intent and you're not just running around shooting absurd shots you're playing within the game, you're usually going to get the benefit of the doubt of the calls. And, you know, it's it's never a focus to just go out there, I'm going to get to the free throw line. Well, how do you get to the free throw line? Well, you go inside and you, uh, you know, you, you play aggressive and you go inside, you get the ball inside and try to get those easy buckets. I think that's uh, what leads players to get to the free throw line. But, you know, playing ISO ball and shooting step back threes, uh, you're not going to get the benefit of the doubt even if you do get fouled. Hey, hey, Tyler, you brought up the refs. And so what, what I want to ask you, and you and I were texting about this being a topic we wanted to cover. Yeah. The block charge yeah. debacle in college basketball. So I have two questions. How did, how did we end up in a place where at the highest level of college basketball, you can basically fall down and buy a charge call? whether the guy actually runs into you or runs you overnight. And we're talking about guys that are 230, 250 pounds, and somebody starts to make a post move, and they act like they got shot in the chest with a shotgun, and they buy a charge call, and the refs continue to make that call. So how do we get to this place? And then my question to you is this. Why is it that the NBA has such a good handle on the block charge call, and they get it right, and in college basketball, they can't handle it? They, 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 can't, they, they can't manage it. Why is that? Well, for one thing, the NBA refs have much more training. Uh, they're better paid and they're uh, professionals. That's that's why they're refing at the NBA level. Uh, to answer point blankly, they're better refs. And if they, if the NCAA refs are would be as good as those guys, they would be refing in the NBA. Uh, but the block and charge call and why I'm so passionate against this is because I love the physicality of the game. And I love watching post players go to work uh, and I love seeing mismatches uh, in basketball and see how players uh, use those mismatches. And the charge slash block call was never designed uh, just to initially fall down at the very slightest contact and just throw your hands up and make a noise and get a call. The, I think the the charge call was designed to um, keep players, offensive players from uh playing out of control and that's just exactly right. That's exactly right. Down and just running yeah. somebody over. A charge is called a player control foul, right? I mean, that yeah. literally what you just said is, is why it was designed. If you go flying in there out of control and somebody has position and is there and you run them over and they're not in the circle, you are out of control. Therefore you get a player control foul, call it on you and it's a turnover. But now, like you said, as a post entry, uh, I, I mean, 
Tyler, you could not have played, I don't and, think, and, and, in, dude, in today's game. That's that's why I'm so passionate. And this is what the oxymoron about it is, is this is one of the best years for big men in NCAA basketball. And they put they implement this point of emphasis on the charge slash block, whatever they're doing. They're calling an absurd amount of offensive fouls. I don't think I've watched the games prior, uh, you know, prior years and said they need to call more charges. This year, they better call more charges, and it's going to be a watchable product. And the problem with the charge call, one, it's a very hard call uh, to make. There's a reason why there's a charge circle in the middle of the lane, and it's also a dangerous play. To run under a player and try to get a charge uh, while they're in the air is just a stupid play to begin with, and you're going to put players at risk of getting injury. That's why the charge circle is there. Uh, the other thing is it takes away from the athleticism of the game. Uh, just to stand in front of a player and fall down, that's not what, That's not how you play defense, okay? The charge, sure. you get in front of a player, and you can see the charge. You know when it's a good call. But in the NBA, the rest blatantly tell you, no, make an athletic play on the ball, Okay. You know, Roy Hibbert was one of the best ever to go straight up and put his hand straight up in the air, uh, the straight up call, okay? And you see guards do that now. You see everybody do that. And the reason they do that is because you cannot get a charge uh, in the lane like that, and they know it's going to be physical, and you have to make an athletic play. And the reason I'm so against it, Dewey, is because it takes away from the game. The game was designed – uh, to expose mismatches. The game was designed to be athletic. The game was actually designed to be physical. And it's yeah. taken away from all those aspects. And then, and, and, and the word we're not using, it, it's just flopping. Yeah. They're and, just flopping. And, right? And, and here's the other thing. The new flop call. I haven't seen a flop called right. Yeah. And, call it. And so to think that they're going to implement this flop call, can you imagine uh, getting under two minutes and a guy – you know, he, he really embellishes a call and then all of a sudden they give him a technical and they say, no, that's a flop. A flop is basically, uh, it's just a good guess by the ref. I, I will say, you, I mean, it's, you know, it, flopping, flopping is universal in sport. To think that the NCAA is going to stop flopping is comical. It's been part of the sport ever since uh, it's been around. It's been in every sport uh, as well. So that's why I'm passionately against it, and I think it was a bad decision, and I don't know what the reasoning is for putting in the you know the point of emphasis on the charge or deciding to call a technical on these flops. I, I would like to understand an explanation, and I still haven't gotten one, and I still say, and this isn't on the refs. This comes from the higher-ups uh, telling the refs to enforce this, and it's making the product worse. That's why I don't like it. I'm with you. And, and you can see it. You can see it happen, right? It's like they make a post entry. Armando starts to make just a general post move. Like if you catch the ball and you start your post move with a dribble and start to turn towards the basket, there is not enough force that is initiated right then to knock over a 240-pound 6'10 guy. Yeah. And yet those guys anticipate the, the start of the post move and just fly backwards and in that interim, before the ref blows the whistle, I say to myself, oh, he's going to buy that. The ref's yeah. going to buy that. And, and they can and, call it. It's and, insane. In the NBA, Giannis, they try to do it to Giannis every single time. 
and it never gets called because nobody can guard Giannis down low. Uh, and, you know, in the NBA, you initially get that first bump from the post player. Right. And then after that, you know, it's it's a determining uh, call, but you're, you know you're not just going to get that call. Uh, people do it in desperation, uh, try to get the the charge, but it is taken away from the game. And I, well, I couldn't. It is. And it also takes away from sort of the natural advantage of being a bigger player. You used to see it a lot That's with right. LeBron. Like people complain about like LeBron doesn't get a lot of calls because he's so much bigger and stronger that that other guys, you know, of course. And, and look, dude, I am one of the biggest LeBron fans on LeBron the planet. And that dude. Well, when, yeah, he does. He does. I was getting ready to say, like, when the wind blows, LeBron gets a call. But LeBron also doesn't get a lot of calls because of how big and strong he is. And also, it's like, imagine if Shaquille O'Neal was playing, if they were calling the games this way when guys like that are playing. So it's like, look, if if I'm if I'm Armando's size and there's a mismatch and I back this guy down, like, he backs down a guy that's three inches shorter than he is and is giving up 40 pounds. Like, damn right, that guy's going to go backwards, and he should go backwards because you're taking advantage of a mismatch. That's not a foul, right? If you lower your shoulder and plow through the guy's chest, that's a whistle. That's different, right? and that's so, all we're talking about, right? That, that, exactly. To your point, and in that situation, the mismatch, if Armando catches the ball and there's a guy who's 6'5", 200 pounds guarding him, you can almost guarantee that that guy is going to fall over yeah. and try to buy a charge. Yeah. It's become, it's become the default yeah. instead of like, Hey, I'm going to dig in here as a, as a perimeter player and try to like Chris Paul, not a fan of the guy, but that dude battles Tenacious. when he gets yeah. switched on bigs yeah. in the NBA. He yeah. battles. Yeah. Right. Yep. He He's getting his down and fall over too. Um, but uh, hey, I heard that wasn't true though. (laughs) Who knows? Uh, That's the latest breaking news, dude. Yeah, I I bet it wasn't. Um, but (laughs) um, Dewey, you're right, man. That charge, they they need to get what Uh, get what you know, get rid of that thing. Um, but before we get out of here, man, you know we're all about cookies. Um, do you eat cookies? You're one of the healthiest eating people I know. Um, I, I would say this, I almost always eat them when I'm with you and when I'm, and then when, when my daughters want to get a treat. So basically I eat cookies with you and my six and three-year-old girls. How's that make you feel? Pretty well, good. When, when you are eating cookies with me or <laughs> your daughters, what would you say your favorite cookie is? It's a great, it's a great question. Um, I will say this before I answer that the best cookie I've ever eaten in my life was with you in Indianapolis. Thank you. I told people about about the cookie from Moe's. Unbelievable. From Moe's. That's it, the best cookie. That's the best cookie I've ever had in my life. It's I mean it is the best cookie. I was I was honestly really hoping he's gonna say crumble and then I would just lose it. <laughs> nah, um, crumble fans. Nah, nah, yeah, that's uh, that that's the best cookie I've ever eaten. Traditional chocolate chip, warm scoop of ice cream. There's nothing like it. We try to replicate it. You can't. There's nothing like that. That place, Moe's and Indy, rest in peace. Um, but then if it's not that, um, I'm equal opportunity. I mean, I do like some Girl Scout cookies that my girls get. Um, but I don't know how you go against a homemade chocolate chip cookie. I'm right there. Couldn't agree more, man. I Nothing like it. After a can, I, can I share a hot take? Here's a hot take. Girl Scout cookies are the worst cookies in America. I don't give a shit which ones there are. All right. The Thin, the thin Mints. mints like people, people that like Thin Mints, there's something wrong what with What about those peanut butter chocolate ones? Those all right. 
All right. Tagalongs. All right. The Samoas ones are the best. The, see, the Samoas dog shit. Like, dude, I don't understand. I don't like those at all. It's a crime. Ta- Tagalongs. put children out there hawking these things. <laughs> They're terrible. And you got to buy them, right? Unless you're just a Every total time. asshole. The other day, I went into... Uh, now, this was... Uh, this is kind of a different story because kids are selling popcorn and popcorn was trash and it probably boy scouts selling popcorn, Pi- three bags of popcorn, 70, seven, zero dollars. I didn't know it till they swiped my, yeah, I was like, and I got, I was like, well, it's probably like really good popcorn. Nah, trash. Um, yeah, dude, girl scout cookies, supremely overrated. So it sounds like your children sell them, Dewey, which I fully support. I hate them. I buy them every time. And I ain't going to lie. I eat the whole box on the way home. Yeah, so I still mean, eat them. Um, but when is the season? When is Girl Scout cookie selling season? Yeah, and when, like, when the hell do they sell those things? It's when like they sell them. You available? think you you like it's it's weird because like you feel like you haven't seen them in a while, and then like once you see them, it's like I see them every day for two years. Right. And I ain't quite um, sure when the season is. Yeah, yeah. So it it starts like February, March in that right. in that range, like right before spring. Calendar. And uh, saving up and my money. It rolls from there. Dude, hey, guys, I was uh, – I'm just coming off a knee surgery. Anybody doesn't know. And so, I, you know, there's been some times of pain where I'm not the most delightful person. And uh, <laughs> even that happens when I'm not in pain. Uh, but I was pulling up to Starbucks today, and there was a group of uh, kids out there, and they had all their, like, uh, I don't know, little Christmases outfits on and, you know, look like elves and Santa Claus. And they were trying to do this fundraiser, and they are selling something. And I was like, in my mind, I was like, how funny would it be if I just totally ignored them and walked right past them, right into Starbucks? <laughs> you can't do that. You can't I 100% do that. did just for the reaction. <laughs> I'm in the middle of Kentucky. They have no clue where I was. So I walked past all these kids <laughs> and the teachers beside them just to uh, see if somebody would give me a weird reaction. <laughs> you can do that in Kentucky. You cannot do that in Chapel Hill. Yeah, you ain't doing that in Chapel Hill. Uh, <laughs> actually, you probably guess probably you can get away with it in Chapel Hill. Oh, he's busy. Yeah, maybe, maybe that's true. And then I, yeah, how, I hope you gave him some on the way back out, dude. No, I ignored him completely God, on the way out. And uh, what's wrong, and Dick? I've been parking in handicap a little bit, and I don't have. Uh, <laughs> I do have surgery, and the only reason I do that is because I want to get a reaction from somebody, and, and I just want to. There, dude. Do you watch Curb Your Enthusiasm? Of course. Yeah, this is the episode where Larry David used the handicap yeah, stall. Is handicap. It's coming, dude. Somebody's handicap. gonna roll up in there in one of those electric, electric like lift gate vans, and 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 I hope they kick your ass with whatever they got left. Hey, sleep. Is it where Larry David said, "Sir, you parked in handicap." He said, "Well, when they get here, just give me a call, then I come out and move." <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> Man, that yeah. show's great. Anybody doesn't watch that show, man, it's worth a whole uh, HBO subscription. Um, uh, real quick on um ACC, we we kicked that. So we talked about all basically all the basketball we really need to talk about. Um, got ACC championship game tomorrow. Football. Three minutes on this. Drake May, maybe the best player in the history of Carolina football. You ask me. Uh, and player of the year. All these accolades. Uh, what do you think about the body of work? How do you feel? So we haven't had a pod since I think we lost two in a row football and like, holy, you know, downswing here. 
But you ask a Carolina fan before the season starts if you're going to be playing the ACC championship game. And, and the shittiest part of it all is, like, we needed a lot of weird shit to happen when we were a well, one-loss team. Like, a lot of weird shit to have a chance. And damn near all of it happened. And it so we would, if we had won those two games, tomorrow we'd probably be game, sitting at five right now. Exactly. Six, six. I mean, and there's a huge argument that, hey, we got to be in consideration with USC based on their schedule, our schedule, right? Like it didn't. And you can, if in one hand and shit in the other one, as my mom used to tell me, um, tell me which one fills up faster. But we still have a legitimate, you know, a, a big game tomorrow night um, against Clemson. You win the ACC championship. That makes you, I think, 10 and three at this point. You're going to go to a really solid bowl game. It would be great. Like, uh, who's in the SEC? Is, is it LSU in Georgia? I mean, dude, yeah. it'd be great to wind up. What if you played a three-loss LSU team in a, in a major bowl game? I mean, you win the ACC and beat Clemson to be there. Um, yeah, I don't know if we're even in the top 25 anymore. Uh, no, anyway, it's there's still a lot of, like, you ask yourself this question at the beginning of the year. I mean, Drake's playing. All your good players are playing. Like, this isn't one of those situations, I don't think, where these guys are saying, hey, man, I'm out of here a little early. So, I guess, Dewey, what are your thoughts going into tomorrow? I mean, how much do you care or watch about uh, – I mean, not care, but how much do you follow the football team and and, and what do you think uh, – what are you hoping to see, I guess, tomorrow? Yeah, well, I, I follow him more than I ever have because of Drake and his yeah. connection to Luke, who mm-hmm. who obviously, you know, Tyler and I know well and and – spent time with this summer, uh, playing golf. So I'm a huge fan of Luke just as a, as a human being. Mm-hmm. And so just by default, I really root for Drake because such a good, such a big fan of the family. Um, he's remarkable. I mean, to you, here's what's crazy. You said he might be the best player in the history of Carolina football. And the only thing that went into my head, it wasn't like, that's fucking crazy. He's wrong. The only thing I thought was like, Lawrence Taylor, that's yeah. probably the guy. But yeah, but yeah, Peppers, right? so maybe. There you how, go. Yep. yep, yep, yeah. That's how good he's been, right? Yeah. And so, first of all, the future being so bright, how much this will help recruiting because guys are going to want to play with Drake. He'll be a Heisman favorite next year. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, this is a great test because Clemson, even though they're down because they're not in the in the top four. They still have tons of five stars, especially on defense, especially on the defensive line. And so our offense has work cut out for us. Clemson's probably going to score 42 against us. <laughs> it's the question is, can we can we score 43? Because um, yeah. I don't think we're stopping them very much. I know their quarterback struggled some, but uh, I'm excited. I feel good about tomorrow. I feel good about a USA soccer win. Yep. And a Tar Heel win. I'm I'm going. I'm I'm putting it out there. I feel like I'm going to go even further. USA win, football win, basketball win. I feel it. Boom. I mean, we're coming back from them wherever we've been for the last week and a half. We've been in a dark place. I see the light, and I'm with you, Dewey. I, th- I think we're going to win big. I think we're going to win big against Clemson. And, and I USA soccer is going to win, too. Yep. yep. Delicious is playing. Let's go. Now, come on. It's not 10 a.m. You'll be awake. I know, but I'll start to watch it, then I'll fall asleep midway. <laughs> it is about, dude. You want to talk about the flop call? I don't. I got to get out of here myself personally. But the flop call was like we and Tyler talked about this yesterday. It's like, dude, you want to damn figure out a flop call? You figure out Doctor. what they're doing inside. That stuff. There's hilarious. no, there's no saving that sport. I'm the quintessential American hockey fan, which is like, yeah, I'll watch the game tomorrow and and I'll cheer every time they like get close, and then I'll complain why it's zero to zero in the 438th minute of the game. 
Um, but yeah, it's uh, it, it's it is fun to get behind um, Team USA. I mean, America's team in the Tar Heels, and uh, and hopefully, yeah, heels get back on track. Uh, in Blacksburg. Man, Dewey, uh, I appreciate you being on. I know Big Hawk does. You are absolutely open invitation. Welcome here anytime. Just don't take my job because you're so good at it. You probably could, uh, which is a <laughs> it's a low bar in a, in, a, in a world of low bars, but nonetheless. Um, so, yeah, man, we really seriously appreciate you coming on and, and had a lot, of time, a lot of fun with it, man. I Big Hawk. I appreciate it, guys. Thanks, Big Hawk. You got anything else? Stay safe. Stay safe. <laughs>